morning to all of you. Sini Bong Un. I don't know if that's the way you say it in Hokkien, but blessed new year to all of you. Uh, glad you are, those of you who are traveling that you're able to come back and join us today. Come, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are the source of wisdom and understanding. So, Lord, will you teach us? Will you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to be attentive to all that you have to say to us today? Amen. Now, if you could make just one wish that would come true, what would it be? I'm sure you thought of this question before. I remember this was a very, very common question that was asked uh, in school. We will always ask each other. Sometimes it's if you've got three wishes, if you've got one wish. And usually our response is very, very similar. Right? We would always wish for one thing. Can you guess? Not all the time. No. No, our wish is usually for infinite wishes. <laughs> uh, how many of you gave this answer? Uh, I'm sure God, I'm sure God. Uh, because uh, yeah, we, we don't want to be limited by one wish, right? So how somebody answers this question, if you could have anything you ever wish for, what would you want? How anyone answers this question reveals their heart's true desire, what they would really, really want. And so for us as kids, at least, our desire was for all our desires to come true. Basically, we are being very kiasu and greedy. Lah, okay? But as we saw in today's passage, Solomon was asked by God a very similar question. And his answer also reveals his heart. And that pleased the Lord. And so that's our big idea for today, our takeaway message that pursuing wisdom for God's purposes pleases Him. Say that five times fast. Huh? Pursuing wisdom for God's purposes pleases Him. Now, we're very early in our series on First and Second Kings. We are continuing on from the story of David's life in Second Samuel last year. So if, you have, if you're not new to the church, uh, there's been a progression. We've been going through the, the storyline of Israel, God's people. And as Brother Chang Jin mentioned last week in his big picture of First um, and Second Kings, we will see throughout the books of First and Second Kings that God remains faithful in His covenant to Israel, not just in his covenant to Israel, but also his covenant to David, right? That he would always uh, have have a descendant on the throne and all that. And so God is faithful; He will remain faithful. The opposite will be true for Israel. Very quickly, they will descend into unfaithfulness. Today we are zooming in on the first king after David. So after so long, we see almost one year. Huh? Um, or at least majority of the year, David, 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 David. Finally, we move on uh, to another king. And we are looking at his son, Solomon. Solomon is legendary for one attribute, which, is, which we, are, we are unpacking today, and that is his wisdom, Solomon's wisdom. And so today, we are looking at uh, just two quick points. First is the pursuit of what pleases God the pursuit of what pleases God. 
And second is the effects of Solomon's wisdom. Okay, the effects of Solomon's wisdom. Let's look at the first one, the pursuit of what pleases God. Uh, after the, the, the disaster of the first king of Israel, King Saul, you remember he had a horrible uh, arc in his plot, right? He came, he, uh, God called him, he chose him, and then eventually he was unfaithful to God. He, he uh, wanted to, he cared more about his image, he cared more about what people thought of him, and he was unfaithful to God. Uh, compared to King Saul, King David was like a breath of fresh air, right? He was called a man after God's own heart. We know he was not perfect, he was still a very flawed individual, committed murder, committed adultery, uh, but he is remembered for his heart, for God. His son, Solomon, doesn't gain the same reputation as being a man after God's heart. Yet, we can see that at least from this passage uh, that was read to us just now by Brother Charles, uh, at the very start of his reign, he was also after what pleases God. That is what he wanted. He was also after God's heart. Now, before we even come to his famous request for wisdom, Scripture tells us that Solomon also had love for God. And so Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to instructions given to him by his father, David, uh, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense of the high places. So again, he was not perfect, huh? Uh, but a temple was not yet built and he associated the high places as, you know, worshipping God. And then, the king, uh, so this is just before he requests for wisdom, huh? he went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices uh, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And so it was his love for God that he was expressing when he offered these thousand burnt offerings to God in an act of worship. Now, that is a lot. Okay, a thousand. One burnt offering is about one sheep, uh, or one cattle, or one ram, or whatever, a goat, uh, without any blemish or defect. Okay, very, very valuable. And so, these are a thousand of his own livestock. And a burnt offering is burnt. Okay, the... A uh, burnt offering is burnt. It is not... Now, now when we, we, we burn a, a sheep or we burn a cow or we burn a goat, it is so we can barbecue, so we can eat, right? So it tastes better. Back then, burnt is burnt. It's totally baka, okay? Uh, it wasn't something that can be repurposed and reused. It can't be written off as a tax deduction, can't be uh, fulfilling a corporate social responsibility. It is just destroyed. It's gone. Okay? And so the modern equivalent of a burnt offering is really like burning money. Imagine, uh, you just take money, cash, set fire to it. Uh, one burnt offering of a ram without defect, uh, one burnt offering, is worth about two shekels of silver which by rough estimation, someone came up with a calculator on, online and they basically referenced, okay, according to a daily wage of Romans, uh, equivalent to how much today. Roughly, one burnt offering is worth about 1.6 thousand ringgit of our money today. Roughly lah, roughly. Okay, so to show God 
how important God was to Solomon, it was like burning 1.6 million ringgit all at once in a fire. Okay? So, that is how much God meant to Solomon. After Solomon's extravagant act of worship, God appeared to him in a dream to, to ask him, ask anything, you know, what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom, which pleased the Lord. Now, why was God pleased with his request? Now, basically, what pleased God was Solomon's values, right? That it was different from the values of the world. He was pleased that he asked for this and not long life, wealth, death of enemies, which would be what the typical kings of the day or typical man of that day would ask for. And so Solomon's values were different from the values of the world. But it wasn't just what Solomon asked for that pleased God. And so this is important. If he had asked for wisdom so that he can manipulate the market, or if he had asked for wisdom so he could do hostile takeovers of surrounding nations, if he had asked for wisdom for those purposes, I really doubt God would have been as pleased with his request. And so his motive for asking for wisdom was in order to govern God's people as his servant, in order to administer justice for them. And so there are some things that he says throughout this passage that gives us some more clues as to why God was pleased with his request. And so firstly, Solomon recognized his role of servant and steward. And so he says, uh, he calls himself, constantly he's referring to himself, your servant, uh, talking to God, huh? that he calls himself God's servant. Uh, now, remember what a steward is? I preached on this a couple of times before. A steward is someone who temporarily manages something in the interest of the actual owner. Okay, so like how, how a caretaker will take care of a holiday property of some rich person uh, as though it is his, but it's actually not his. And so as God's creation, everything that we have, including our ability to work or create, ultimately belongs to God as the creator. So we are all stewards of God's creation, right? Now throughout the passage today, Solomon refers to Israel as God's people. He's speaking to God, huh? your people. And he refers to himself as God's servant. And so this shows us Solomon recognized God as the ultimate ruler of Israel. That Israel belonged to God and he's just a steward in leading them. So he didn't call them my people. Right? He called them your people. And so he was not seeing Israel as his people that he can do what he wants with them. So in other words, his request to be able to act in God's interests in order to have wisdom to govern them and all that, it's not a selfish request. It is a selfless request. I think we can learn something about pleasing God with our attitudes towards what we have in this whole area of stewardship in our lives, whether it's with our possessions or even those that we are responsible for, like our children. Because just like how our money and our possessions and all that, we're just stewards of those things, 
God gave them to us to manage. Same with our children. I remember my mom initially when I first answered the call to the pastoral ministry and I, I told my parents, uh, I want to be a pastor. Uh, I, I recorded the, the message, uh, sorry, the, I recorded the conversation and my dad's reaction was to laugh. It's like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, but, but following the, the, the months after that, as I was uh, exploring my calling, interning in church, I remember my mom initially had trouble uh, accepting my call to the pastoral ministry. Uh, she was worried about my well-being, you know, mothers, lah, right? Uh, is, is my son going to become uh, poor, pauper? Uh, is he going to have enough to eat? Is he going to uh, have everybody gang up on him and want to kill him, whatever, lah, right? So she's worried about my well-being as a pastor. Uh, and, and what helped her to surrender was her friend reminding her that I belong to God. And because of that, she didn't have to worry about my well-being because she wasn't surrendering me to some triad gang. Uh, she was surrendering me to God, who, of course, will take care of me. I'm paraphrasing a bit, lah, okay? But the, 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 the general concept that the thing that helped her to surrender or her worries, anxieties, was stewardship, that she recognized she was just a steward of her son, right? And so when we recognize ourselves not as owners, but as stewards of what we have, or stewards of who we have, then we will find it easier to be more selfless with whatever we have because it actually belongs to God. And when God calls and when He asks or when, he, when we, are, we are giving back to Him, we recognize actually it's belonging to Him. We're just giving back. And so stewardship helps us to be more selfless. And that pleases God. The second thing, the second reason why God was pleased with Solomon's request is that he recognized his role. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, he, he acknowledged. He acknowledged God was the one who put him on the throne. Now, he, he constantly says in his... Uh, in his dialogue with God in his dream, that God is the one who has placed him on the throne. God is the one who has made him king. God is the one who has given David a descendant uh, on the throne. And so Solomon had this great sense of security that came from trusting the Lord with his identity. You imagine if King Saul had been in the same position, okay, and God asked King Saul, what would you want me to do for you? Ask me of one thing. I think can almost guarantee that he would have asked for the death of his enemies, right? Which is what he spent so much of his life trying to do uh, to David. Because of his fears, his insecurities, he was not secure in his identity as uh, Israel's chosen king, appointed by God. And so since Solomon credits God with putting him on the throne, he doesn't have to be paranoid about losing it. God was the one who put him there. God is the one who will keep him there or remove him when the time comes. And so it pleases God when we trust him enough to be secure in our identity with him. That we recognize God has created us. We recognize that God has placed us where we are, and that matters more than what others think. And so it pleases God when we are secure 
in our identity in God and Christ. Third reason why his request pleased God is that he depended on God instead of himself. Uh, he, he basically, in his request to God, he says, I'm only a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Imagine a king of Israel saying that. Uh, and and he, he basically asked God, give me a discerning heart in order to carry out my duties. Or else I cannot. Okay? And so, by this time, even though he says, I'm only a little child, uh, you don't think he's a small boy running a kingdom. He is already in his 20s. He's already had his first son. Okay? He married a uh, daughter of Pharaoh in Egypt. But for the task of ruling Israel, he feels like a little child because of his inexperience. Now, the literal Hebrew for this discerning heart that Solomon asked for is a hearing heart, a heart that hears. And so Solomon is not just asking for a discerning heart to be able to tell what's wrong and right, but he's also asking for a heart to hear God's voice so he can lead God's people. You see, we were never created to be independent from God. Our independence from God is a result of the sin that separates us from Him. And so it pleases God to depend on Him. And one of the ways that we depend on God is when we pray. When we pray in faith, when we ask God of Him, things that we know we cannot do one. And so, from personal experience, the times when I am praying the most is the times when I'm most helpless. The times when I'm, I, I cannot depend on myself, I really have to depend on Him, right? And that's, that's the times I always find myself praying the most and nonstop. And so, it pleases God to depend on Him. And when we pray in faith, we are depending on Him. We acknowledge we don't have full control over things. And we depend on God. But although we, we ask uh, and, and we depend on God in prayer, we have to be careful we are not asking for the wrong things, okay, against God's will. Or we are not... Uh, so, so if we pray for sinful things to happen, uh, that's not according to His will, uh, right? Uh, and we also have to be careful... Uh, that we don't ask for the right things for the wrong reasons, okay? which uh, James 4.3 basically tells us, you ask for your wrong motives, you're not going to get it. And so Solomon's request for wisdom in order to lead God's people is one such example of asking for the right things for the right reasons. And so it pleases God when we depend on Him, pray in faith, we ask Him for the right things according to His will as revealed to us in Scripture or any, any other way uh, and for the right reasons. So now we have a better idea of why God was pleased with Solomon's request for wisdom. Let's look at the effect of that wisdom on his life and his kingdom. Now, of all the things that Solomon is known for, his wisdom is legendary because of the impact that it had on his life and on his rule, his reign over Israel as king. He was, Solomon had, was a lot of things. Huh? He was a great architect, a great builder. Uh, he, he was very wealthy. 
his kingdom was uh, peace, largely, uh, not, not a lot of war. Uh, he was the most successful king by earthly standards. But he is known for his wisdom because uh, whenever his wisdom is mentioned, everything else is mentioned. And so wealth, fame also tends to be mentioned whenever Solomon's wisdom is mentioned. And the reason is because although Solomon asked for wisdom, which God did give him lots and lots of wisdom, he also, God also gave Solomon what he didn't ask for, which was lots of lots of wealth, lots and lots of honor, fame. Now, there is a general pattern for wise living that leads to our well-being. That is a biblical pattern, okay? This is because God had a good design for man to thrive on this earth. God didn't create man to suffer, okay? That is the effect of sin. God had a good design for man to thrive on this earth, and although sin corrupts that, it doesn't completely nullify God's good design. So this world is not devoid of God's goodness, okay? It's not devoid of a fulfilling life. Marriage can still be good as God designed it to be, but sin can still ruin marriage, right? And so the goodness of God's creation and design is still here on this earth. And so there is a, a, a general pattern of wisdom leading to well-being according to God's good design. This passage from Proverbs chapter 3 uh, is just one of the many, many passages that talks about the benefits of wisdom. And it says, uh, this is within the context of wisdom. Uh, Don't forget my teaching, gaining wisdom. Keep my commands in your hearts, gaining wisdom. For they will prolong your life many years, bring you peace, prosperity. Okay, so Proverbs as a collection of wisdom, observations of the human experience on this world, uh, does speak of this pattern that wisdom leads to well-being for us. And so in this world, wisdom generally leads to well-being. For example, there are proverbs that, that uh, tell us how the wise are hardworking, the foolish are lazy, okay, basically. Lah. And you learn from the end, lah, see how it's uh, so hardworking, the sluggard uh, will just turn on his side and then, uh, <laughs> you know, ruin will overtake him and all those kinds of things, lah, okay? So, it's true. Generally, those who work hard tend to live better lives in this world compared to those who are lazy. It's true, right? I say generally, yeah. Because Proverbs are observations of general patterns in life. Okay? They are not promises to be claimed. They are observations of general patterns. There are also Proverbs on how wearing ourselves... Sorry, the image is horrible. Uh, wearing ourselves out, pursuing money as our end goal is a foolish pursuit. When you burn yourself out in order to pursue money... It is foolish because it can also disappear in an instant. Right? It, uh, Proverbs basically says you, you try and earn so much money, but then your money will sprout wings and fly away. <laughs> okay? And so that is true as well. 
generally. If we sacrifice our health and our whole life pursuing money, all it takes is a corrupt partner or it takes the betrayal of a child, it can also make all our money disappear overnight. It's true. And so wisdom does tend to lead to well-being in God's good order for this world. But wisdom is not just ex- uh, measured by experience. It's not just measured by IQ. The Hebrew word used for wisdom can also be translated as being skillful with regards to the application of knowledge. And in the passages referring to Solomon's wisdom, it's often accompanied by the word discerning, which is the ability to tell right from wrong. Okay? And so this is wisdom is biblically accompanied by moral knowledge. It is not just knowing facts. It's not just knowing a lot of things or knowing how to apply facts. It is also moral knowledge, knowing what is wrong, what is right. And so the wisdom that Solomon had was being skillful in handling both factual as well as moral knowledge in this world. Specifically, a world where God reigns over everything. And so the reason why his wisdom surpassed wisdom of all the other people of other nations is because God is in it. This is the distinguishing factor between the wisdom that the Bible talks about and the wisdom of the world. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 famously says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is the key verse of Proverbs, that true wisdom, true understanding is found in having reverence for God and knowing Him. And those who fail to recognize God in this world, they can be legendary philosophers, they can write tons of self-help books, but the Bible says they lack this crucial truth to be counted truly wise. And so Solomon's wisdom was not just about being ingenious, not just about being cunning. It was all that with reverence for God. All, all the knowledge, all the skill in applying that knowledge with knowing God. Solomon specifically refers to God as his God. And you'll find that this is actually a, not a very common occurrence in the Old Testament. Uh, usually it's the God of my father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But here Solomon says, Lord, my God, Sayapunya. Okay. Uh, it, it's a personal knowledge of God, a, a relationship with Him. And so the pursuit of wisdom is a good thing. It does tend to lead to our well-being. But true wisdom, according to God's good design, cannot be found without knowing God. So friends, do seek wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask God for it. Uh, but don't expect to find true wisdom without a reverent relationship with God. And so God gave Solomon true wisdom. Lots of it. But God didn't just give uh, Solomon wisdom for you know, no reason. Even though Solomon asked for wisdom, it was a specific gift from God for His purposes. 
there was a purpose for the gift of wisdom that God gave to Solomon. Solomon's great wisdom resulted him in having wealth and honor without equal among kings. And so as he, the king, prospered and his kingdom prospered, so did his people. You'll see that uh, in chapter 4, verse 20, the people of Judah and Israel, they were as numerous as sands of seashore, they ate, they drank, they were happy. Okay, so this is actually a fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel. Remember, blessings for obedience. Walk according to God's ways, there'll be blessings. Uh, curses for disobedience. And so Solomon's kingdom is proof, it is fruit, that God was following through on his covenant promises. And so God is faithful, even though his people will eventually become very unfaithful. Now it's important we remember that these covenant promises, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, they were made to God's people, Israel, not to us today, okay? In, in, uh, uh, not to the church in the New Testament uh, times. Although there's a general pattern of wisdom leading to well-being, the takeaway for us today is not seek wisdom in order to get rich and famous. Okay? That's not the takeaway. Wisdom does not always guarantee an equal to riches and fame. It's not a guaranteed formula for material wealth and worldly success. Okay? Because that is just another form of prosperity theology. You, know, you do something uh, that God likes uh, and then you are, bl you are blessed with material wealth and, and fame. Okay? Uh, if God gives us, even without us asking, great, praise the Lord. Be generous with how he has blessed you. But seeking riches or fame as an end goal is not the path of wisdom. Okay? But today, God expresses his faithfulness to us through something far more valuable than material wealth and earthly fame. We have the promise, the assurance of forgiveness of all our sins. We have the promise of eternal life. We have direct and instant access to God himself through our faith in Jesus. We don't have to go through a thousand burnt offerings. No one in the Old Testament was given the same guarantee. We, are, we have something of far greater value than these promises of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Now, one more purpose for God's gift of wisdom to Solomon was that he would be glorified through Israel's success. If you fast forward to chapter 9, uh, Solomon is visited by the Queen of Sheba. She hears of his fame, his renown, his success. She comes and sees everything in his kingdom. And so she recognizes, after seeing everything, uh, she's like, wow, God has blessed you. She recognizes that the Lord was responsible for Solomon's successes. And she gave glory to God. And so for those of you who have received wisdom from God, to whatever degree, Always remember to give glory to God. Be careful not to fall into the trap of pride because without God, there is no real wisdom. Now, so far, I've been talking about how Solomon was an example of somebody who pleased the Lord, right? Very positive. 
But the last thing I wanted to point out before we close today is that for all his wisdom, it did not make him immune to temptation. It did not make him immune to the effects of sin. If we fast forward to Solomon, uh, Solomon, <laughs> First Kings chapter 11, you'll see a very, very tragic passage. Solomon's life doesn't have the same sort of good start that it has, uh, or rather doesn't have a good ending as, as how good his, his reign started out. Uh, he loved many foreign women. The Lord told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. They will turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, he held fast to them. He had 700 wives. Who you? <laughs> 300 con... <laughs> no statement on my marriage. I'm very happy in my marriage. But 700 wives, 300 concubines, his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And it, this statement... Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now this is a great tragedy because as you see, as we continue on into Kings, usually there is a summary at the end of their reign and then it says whether there's usually like a judgment call, whether they, they walked in the ways of the Lord, they did right according to their father, uh, or they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Solomon's summary here is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. And so, much like King Saul, he had a great start, did not end well. And the irony is that wisdom is usually associated with experience that comes with age. And so you see a few passages in Proverbs. Huh? It says that Wisdom is, you know, uh, grey hair, crown of splendour, and, you know, those who are older tend to be more wise. But the irony here is that Solomon made more foolish decisions as he grew older. You see, as he had wisdom, and that wisdom equipped him to make the right choices. He was able to know which was the right way to go. But despite knowing that, he chose to go the wrong way instead. It's like ways telling us, turn left. And you say, no, 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 I'm smarter than ways. Turn right. Which sometimes we do, right? Uh, ways doesn't know this traffic jam line. Uh, we, we turn right and then, ah, yeah, should I listen to ways, right? So Solomon's choices, his wrong choices, were not made out of ignorance. They were willful, deliberate unfaithfulness to God. Unlike his father, a man after God's heart, Solomon was a man after his wife's and concubines' hearts. And so Solomon's life is both a positive example as well as a warning for all of us that wisdom and discernment can be gained from God. Yes. And it can lead to our general well-being, yes. But wisdom and discernment alone does not guarantee we will end up on the right path.
So especially for those of us who consider ourselves wiser and more experienced in God's ways, we need to be very careful. We don't take it for granted. We lower our guard against temptation and sin. If Jesus himself faced temptation multiple times, we can never expect ourselves to be mature enough that we don't have to be on our guard against temptation. Uh, we don't have to be ruthless against sin. Wisdom needs to be applied. Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish builders, it teaches a similar lesson that we can have access to what is true and right spelled out for us in Scripture, but living a life knowing it without applying it is foolishness. So how do you know if you're applying wisdom? I'll just give you one very simple example. If there are any signs in your life where your walk doesn't match your talk, if you ever catch yourself telling others, especially your children, huh, do as I say, not as I do. I've heard that before. Huh? <laughs> if you ever hear yourself saying that, that's a sign that you're teaching them wisdom, but you're not applying it for yourself. And so in conclusion, I'd like to end with Jesus' words that I think capture Solomon's pursuit of wisdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, these things that Jesus is referring to is not wealth and fame, huh? but the good things that God knows that we need. But that's the secondary thing. The primary thing is to pursue whatever pleases God, and then we leave it up to Him to give us the secondary things that He knows are good for us. And so I'd like you to know that pursuing wisdom for God's purposes pleases Him. Our motives matter. Be a pursuer of true wisdom through a reverent relationship with God. We cannot find true wisdom apart from God. And do be careful to apply the wisdom that God gives you. Be ruthless with sin and temptation. Let's pray. If any of you would like to ask God for wisdom and discernment, I want to invite you to just respond to God. Tell Him, yes, Lord, I recognize that wisdom and discernment comes from you. I need it. I want it. I'm asking you, Lord. Would you give me wisdom and discernment? Not so I can live life my way, but so I can live life your way. Lord, I want to pray for all my brothers and sisters who desire wisdom and discernment. Lord, you tell us to ask you for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you will honour their request and that you will also align their motives with yours. Would you use their request would you use your gift to them for your purposes, for your pleasure? And if any of you want to ask God to help you to apply the wisdom that he has given you, I also invite you to respond to him. Would you tell him, 
Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom you've given me. Thank you for the ability to discern right from wrong. But Lord, as I struggle to apply this wisdom, would your Holy Spirit help me? Help me to live as wise and not foolish in building my life upon the wisdom that you have given me and applying it. Lord, I bring to you my brothers and sisters who struggle with applying the wisdom that you've given to them. Lord, we thank you. You have revealed so much wisdom in your word, giving us the Holy Spirit which helps us, who helps us to understand these spiritual truths that cannot be done without Him. Thank you for that incredible gift. And so, Lord, to every degree of wisdom that you have given to us, Lord, I pray that you give us a heart to please you, to apply all that we have learned from you. Lord, may our lives be found to be built on the solid rock of knowing you, knowing the truth in your word, knowing all that you revealed to us. Help us to live wisely in the proper application of knowledge in a way that pleases you, following your ways, being ruthless with temptation and sin. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oop, sorry. Uh, let me just end with um, some reflection and discussion questions for us in our small groups and families. First, who is a model of godly wisdom that uh, inspires you and why? Second, what is one benefit of wisdom that attracts you? And thirdly, what is one thing that you intend to do to help you be wiser in God's eyes? Okay, I leave you with those questions to reflect and discuss.